Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. My guest today is a USA Today and Publishers Weekly bestselling author who's releasing her 61st book this fall. Lisa Phillips is a British expat who grew up an hour outside of London. It wasn't until her Bible college graduation that she figured out she was a writer when someone told her to pursue that. Since then, she's discovered a penchant for high-stakes stories of mayhem and disaster where you can find made-for-each-other love that always ends in happily ever after. So, Lisa, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me on. Now, um, I should say, first of all, congratulations on 61 books. It's really impressive. Congratulations. Thank you. I know your new one is coming out in just a few weeks, but people can pre-order it. So we'll chat about Mm -hmm. that in a little bit. Cold Dead Night, and it's the start of a brand new series. Um, now before we started, uh, chatting here a minute ago, you were mentioning that you had said, I think I have seven series that I've done. That's amazing. Like, so when you're writing a series, how do you come up with storylines that are different, but Mm. yet also familiar enough to keep your readers coming back for more? Mm -hmm. I think you have to start with what you know readers will love. Uh Um, And that was, I was reading a book recently um, and she was essentially talking about hooks, but she said, readers don't want something new. They want something they know they're going to love. So Mm. they have to be able to look at the cover, look at the blurb um, and then know, you know, one click by, I know I'm going to love this. Um, And so you have to start with those tried and true concepts, you know, in Christian romantic suspense, which is what I write. It's a lot of um, police officers, military spies. Um, I've done a lot of that. And then, um, you know, add a little flavor to it, put some spin on it. You know, you write enough series, you kind of have to start going, okay, I got to, instead of just churning over the same thing, I've got to come up with like a spin on this, or, Mm -hmm. you know, it looks like what I know you're going to love, but then I'm just going to add a little twist to it just to keep you going, oh, I didn't see that coming. So it's kind of a challenge. Yeah. It's definitely a challenge. And, um, you know, some people say, you know, you should give readers um, something new yet the same or something. I don't Mm -hmm. even know how to figure that out, but, but Mm -hmm. you explained kind of at least your take on that. Um, Mm -hmm. I like to think of giving readers what they didn't know they want. And so like when they pick it up, they're like, I think I know kind of this is, you know, whatever genre it is. Mm -hmm. But then you add that twist where they're like, I did not see that coming or yeah, that's uh, maybe not what I thought when I picked it up, but it's even better than what I Mm -hmm. anticipated it would be. Yeah, because sometimes I read a book and I want it to be exactly what I'm in the mood for. Mm. So I'm in the mood for a particular thing. So I'll look at a book and I'll say, that's what I'm looking for right now. Or I'll pick up a book that, it, you know, and I'm in a different mood and I'm like, okay, well, you think you're smart. 
Mr. Author, but uh-huh. I'm going to figure you out before you, before everybody else. And so you kind of approach it differently. And so it's like, you know, all these different things, um, all the different readers and, um, you know, you got to write to the readership that you have. Um, but, you know, I, I read different things in different moods. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, in one of my books, I had this, I was trying to think of a good twist at the end. So in the middle of the book, like the, the, uh, the hero goes to this one bad guy who knows like the main bad guy. And the guy says, be careful. He has a twist waiting for you at the end that you would never expect. Mm. And I was like writing, I'm like, well, what is it? I'm like, I have no <laughs> idea. Cause I don't outline or plot anything out. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. So I'm like writing and thinking I've got to come up with a twist for readers. Of, Cause as soon as they read that line, they will be like, all right, let's see it. If How smart really... are you? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And so, yeah. man, that was a challenge, but it's fun to set up, you know, challenges for yourself, also promises for readers. Yeah. So they can yes. say, okay, there's something coming. Um, I think that people read flip pages for different reasons. And that is one of them. That's mystery. Like we we're trying to mm-hmm. solve something. Mm-hmm. Um, another, I think, is anticipation where we're looking forward to um, a moment that we expect to occur. So in other words, like you write romance stories, like mm-hmm. whenever the happily ever after moment comes or whatever, we might be reading it saying, look, I don't know how they're going to get there, but somehow it's, you know, they're going to get together, you know, at the end mm-hmm. of the story or something. Um, do you, when you're writing, you know, kind of purposely try to make it seem like there's literally no way this couple is going to be able to you know get together at the end but then mm-hmm. they do but readers would be like mm-hmm. how is that gonna happen yeah I've been thinking about that lately so this will be a long-winded answer but so I've been working with Sunrise Publishing um, which is uh, the brainchild of Susan May Warren and Lindsay Harrell and it's effectively they call it like the James Patterson model So um, I have a series called Last Chance County, and it's 10 books. And um, what we did was auditioned brand new authors. So they have to have completed a book, um, but they're effectively all brand new authors. And they're writing books in my series, and I'm mentoring them. Hmm. And so through this process, it's like, okay, how do I help you? And I've been thinking about that recently, which is what made me think of it, is you know, yes, it's a suspense and yes, it's a romance, but the fact is everything's fine at the end and they've survived and they've sold the whole thing and they've taken down the bad guy and they've fallen in love and they're probably getting engaged (laughs) in the epilogue. (laughs) So the reader knows this is going to happen. The reader's invested in this genre because they get that payoff for this journey, but you have to at least have a moment where the reader believes they might not make it Hmm. They might not take down the bad guy. This is serious. Uh, Or, you know, you got a breakup scene where it's like, oh, there's no way they're going to get over this and be able to figure out, you know, there's like sometimes there's just a miscommunication. And it's like, well, one conversation and we've solved the whole problem for the romance or, you know, there's a danger, but it just doesn't feel that bad so there's like a lack of tension in it where it just kind of falls short of being satisfying for the reader to go Mm. on this you know hair raising journey of will they make it you have to make them believe that there's a possibility that they won't because 
that's what gets them reader turning pages to the end of like, how are we going to fix this? Mm-hmm. How are they going to solve this problem? How are they going to get back together? Um, because we all already know there's a happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, we will basically when we're reading a series, a lot of times we think, okay, well, the hero is going to survive or whatever. And because there's going to be another book in the series. So it isn't mm-hmm. like that so much is in question, but, but hopefully there are enough surprises where people are like, I don't know how they're going to get out of this. I don't know how mm-hmm. they're going, you know, to get together. Um, and um, and you mentioned something kind of in passing and that was tension. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're creating stories or mentoring other people who are writing stories in that genre, how do you go about creating tension that's appropriate for that type of story? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is in the stakes, because if you, um, you know, the way we do it with Susan May Warren, we use her story equation. And so they have a dark moment story in their background that they bring to the story that has, you know, a wound that makes them believe a lie and makes them act a certain way, which is their flaw. And so, you know, they want this happily ever after, but there is something in them that has to be fixed. And so if you create high stakes in the internal story like that, um, by adding in this deep wound and then also within this plot itself if you have um private stakes so like a you know it's my sister that's been kidnapped those those are personal stakes and then um you know my sister happens to be the governor those are public stakes because it affects the wider world and then through the story you have to layer those things in and then you have to progressively worsen the situation so that the stakes get raised you know at various points during the story to the climax and then it keeps the tension there and it keeps increasing the tension because you're making it worse and then you're making it a little bit worse and then you're making it a little bit worse all the way to the climax so so when you say stakes I want um, listeners to know kind of specifically what, like when I think of stakes, a lot of times I think of consequences, like mm-hmm. what are the consequences of failure? That's to me mm-hmm. what I picture as the stakes. Is that what you're thinking of or what, what would you say? Yeah. Does that really yeah. refer to you? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it. Yeah. That is essentially what I would boil it down to, but you've got public stakes and private stakes. So if my sister's been kidnapped then, you know, it means something to me that she is rescued because she means something to me. It's not just like I'm an FBI agent and it's some random person off the street that got kidnapped. It's somebody I care about. And so that creates, um, you know, the consequences of me not finding her mean more than they would if it was somebody I didn't know. So make it personal, yeah, like that. Yeah, so if you can add, that personal connection and it works for the story it just gives you that little bit of emotion attached to this case and then if my sister who has been kidnapped is the governor then you know the consequences of her not being found could be you know any number of public things that are affected um you know we all hate the lieutenant governor she's crazy because we're in Idaho and she is crazy um (laughs) 
so you know the the terrible things that would happen if the lieutenant governor now became the governor that's public sakes and so yeah it is like consequences but Mm -hmm. they need to um it's how they resonate with the main character because you're in their head and you're feeling what they're feeling and so if they feel a lot then you'll feel a lot um and you'll want to get to the end but if the main character doesn't have any feeling toward what's happening then you know it's kind of hard to care about Mm. what's happening now you mentioned a couple of things uh susan may warren has a a Mm. kind of an approach to to writing uh that includes the backstory and and so on how how important do you think the backstory is to the current story that's unfolding sometimes it layers in um you know in tiny amounts um the way that she does it there is um you know recently something has happened to this main character like um their spouse asked for a divorce and then you go back to you know maybe adolescence and you know something happened there was some you know they witnessed a shooting And then you go back a layer and you get to childhood and you can have this deep wound from childhood that affected them. And so all these different things are, you know, maybe they have um, a fear of being alone and it comes, it's like every single thing that happened to them in their past, these three things, um, all reinforced whatever lie they believe about themselves. Um, And so, but actually in the book, you know, it translates to, um, you know, every time we go out, I don't ever want to go by myself. I always want to take somebody with me. And so it's like little ways where it affects the things they say and what they think and the decisions that they make. Hmm. And it informs who this character is because of all this, you know, all this stuff they've got going on and inside. Um, and so, you know, it may only come out in tiny snippets or, you know, it's where you get like their ambition or their flaw comes from this, you know, they believe a lie about themselves and they need to realize what the truth actually is as part of their internal arc of their character journey. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's everywhere all through the book, but Hmm. it may only really be like a sentence or two here or there, um, that you actually kind of directly mention something about it. So when you have a series character, are you trying to find a lie that they believe about themselves for every book? Um, this, that's actually interesting for this new series because, um, it's the first one that I've done where it's the same character all through the series. So, uh, so far I have done, um, you know, romance, romantic suspense, a couple for each book. Um, and then it was a different, you know, like different members of the same team or family members or just people they know. And so this cold dead night. Um, it's the first book in a series that is single point of view, and she's the only point of view for the entire series. So I've been thinking about that a lot because it, I actually wrote the book a year or two ago, and I've been uh-huh. sitting on it trying to figure out what to do with it. Hmm. Um, and finally publishing it now, going okay, well I got to write book two. <laughs> so I think that my plan is because I am 
an outliner, but in my own way, um, what I'm planning on doing is having a satisfying character arc um, for the whole series. And it's going to be very long running series, comparatively speaking, and to try and almost just peel back a layer every time. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, in every book, she's reacting internally to what happened in the last book. And then also kind of digging a little bit more into her history, her past, um, and different, you know, maybe triggering different things in her um, so that there is always something to deal with. But because it's so long, you know, it likely will only be little things rather than like, you know, it's not the same wound every single time that's going to get real old. So, yeah. Yes. So I've been mulling that over. Yeah. I mean, You've mentioned also character arc. That seems to be uh, something that you're really shooting for in your stories Mm -hmm. as the character. Tell us a little bit about that or what you have in mind. Um, How much change, fundamental change, is important for you to have a character go through in in a story, especially like a series? I always wonder about when people talk about character arcs, especially regarding like, you know, two or three books. Uh, in a series, I always wonder, you know, what exactly they have in kind of in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually was a um, exercise that Donald Moss um, had us do. So I went on a breakout novel intensive. Uh-huh. It was actually during COVID. So I think it was the first one they did online, like April 2020. Um, and he said, write a scene um, from your point of view character that happens after the book is finished and then write the first chapter because there's a difference between who they are after this has happened versus who they were before the journey happened. And so, you know, they can't be the same. They shouldn't be the same person as they were when this all started, they have to be fundamentally changed because then you know that the plot impacted who they are. And, you know, something shocking happens to us. I'm a different person now than I was before I went through that. And so I think, especially in suspense, um, you know, they should go through this noticeable character arc. Hmm. Um, I think typically though, book to book, I probably plan more than I actually end up putting in there in terms of like, um, you know, because she is very comprehensive, you know, a lie and a wound and a fear and, a, um, you know, their secret dream and um, all these kinds of things. And then, you know, if you say, you know, logically work it out, okay, well, this is my secret dream. So then what's my goal? So then, you know, what lie do I believe about myself because of this wound that happened in my childhood, then creates this fear. And it kind of can give you ideas for like, you know, the climax of the book should be their greatest fear come to life. And so it's all just like things that you can draw from to give you ideas for, you know, who they are, how they act and the kind of person they are at the beginning. Um, And they should go through some kind of change, even if it isn't like quantifiable necessarily. Mm. I think sometimes it depends on the character and who they are. You know, some people 
change or are more affected by something you know we can go through the same experience but your reaction to it and my reaction to it and what we take away from it and how we move on with our lives could be completely different it's so interesting because uh i always uh, am intrigued by people's approach and just different understandings of this idea of an arc character arc because it's taught mm-hmm. so often and i find that there are some characters that I come back to, uh, let's just say Sherlock Holmes. Like mm-hmm. I don't come back to Sherlock Holmes because he's fundamentally different at the end of every story. Mm. I come back because he's fundamentally the same. Mm. And it isn't so much that I'm reading the story to see how he changes, but to see how he'll respond. Mm. So that's why I I find it fascinating, especially like in a standalone, I see very often how the idea of the change of the fundamental changes is, is often present. But in a series, I, I don't always see that. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about that with the difference between, you know, me doing this new series where it's the same character all along. Yeah. Is she going to be fundamentally the same, yeah. you know, but they're just, you know, these experience have, she has to heal from something that happened in the last book. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe she, she needs to grow because I mean, the, the plot is that, you know, she had this trauma happen when she was an FBI agent and mm-hmm. then who she is now is a response to that trauma. And so she needs to kind of, cause she's very closed off and isolated, mm-hmm. um, you know, by choice. And because that's what they kind of forced on her mm-hmm. that she needs to grow out of that. And I don't think it would feel right to leave her in that state, but she's still her at the end and then I think sometimes it's genre dependent because I think with Christian fiction particularly we kind of expect or lean more toward um you know you have learned something Hmm. in the spiritual arc Hmm. that you needed to grapple with needed to you know understand so that you are a different person at the end than you were at the beginning or a little more free or because I think that's kind of how um you know Christians especially see the world as you know being on a journey and mm. you know I'm not going to be the same tomorrow as I am today I'm supposed to be you know progressively moving forward and growing in my faith and becoming you know a better person or you know however people choose to walk that out and so I think then that can inform Christian fiction as a subgenre because you know it's you know that's the authors that um, write those books are you know the people that believe that now, um, how do you write a story where you are trying to inspire people uh, in their own spiritual journey and so on, but without it seeming like maybe, a, I don't know, beating them over the head with a certain message mm-hmm. or a certain sermon, wherever they're reading, and they're like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to forgive someone or whatever it might be. <laughs> um, and then they read and they're like, oh, great. I got to forgive someone. That's the big twist at the mm-hmm. end or whatever. How do you actually shape stories that surprise readers, but also lead them deeper on their own, uh, you know, journeys? I definitely feel like, well, for starters, this is something I've been working on, (laughs) like trying (laughs) to make it a more comprehensive spiritual arc so Hmm. that the reader has 
something to take away because I actually did a survey of my readers and that was something that they said they were looking for Mm. that I didn't typically do as much as I could. Mm. So I've been kind of working on developing that and what that looks like. But I think if you take an aspect of the faith journey, it's usually what I'm wrestling with. Mm. Um, And so, you know, and then you take that this person with this history and whatever they went through, you know, whatever I went through caused me to be closed off. And so I need to learn to trust and Mm. to let go of control a little bit. So all these things kind of like interwork with each other. Um, And so, you know, to take whatever was missing from, you know, what they needed to change and then to tie that in, Um, you know the internal arc ties into the spiritual arc so it's you know she doesn't trust anybody and these you know that ties into the romance too because it's you know I need to trust God and I need to trust this guy Um, and so I think just keeping it as simple as possible and as relatable as possible I don't think anybody needs to go into like you know Christianese like nobody knows what you're talking about because it's just so the concept the spiritual concept is so over everybody's head they're like whatever but if you say you know we I could argue we all need to trust more we all need to you know let go a little bit of control or you know so there's some certain things that are like I feel like they're universal we're all looking for to be loved and to be accepted for who we are and um you know to be understood and so those things translate to relationships and you know my faith journey and this character in a way that would reflect to the reader mm-hmm. um, rather than going the theme of my book is you must forgive right um because you run into the danger of um where you have somebody that should not forgive you have somebody in this situation where they're in danger and they, you know, in their actual, this reader is in danger and they need to get out of the situation. I'm not going to write a book that says you have to forgive everybody who's ever wronged you. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not serving my reader because, you know, I, I, I would worry about saying something like that, I think so. But, you know, if you, I'm almost in Christian fiction, I feel like we are preaching to the choir in that sense to where you know there's there are some things that are generally you know universal that I see in in people that I know and things I do in ministry where you know we could all use a little bit more faith or hope or you know trust or belief or you know so just kind of keep it to those things and trying to be encouraging and still you know correct in terms of doctrine i think that's, <laughs> um it was a good idea <laughs> so i'm wondering lisa you said you kind of outlined a little bit have any of your storylines really surprised you as you've worked on them yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i usually i go through phases sometimes i um do a detailed eye outline and i have a really good idea of where the plot is going and then i leave the emotional stuff um to the chapter by chapter okay what happens next I know the plot what happens next but how you know I write the emotional arc notes and then I write my chapter and then the spiritual arc I usually get all the way to the end and then go back and add that in and Mm. so um 
sometimes either I'm too impatient and I want to start the book (laughs) or I don't have enough time I will um, maybe outline the scenes for the first act and then um, after that kind of figure it out as I go along like I kind of have I've written enough books I kind of know how this is going to go Um, but still yeah I mean there's books where um, I had a character in the hospital and he's walking down the hallway and his sister came out of the elevator and that and that like them seeing each other and everything that had happened and this scene just came out of nowhere and it was like whoa um and you can't outline something like that you just find it when you get there um but I definitely write faster and I write happier as an author when I know where it's going it just there's an efficiency there if I have that um safety net of I Hmm. know where this is going so um what are some of the ways that you use to help deepen the characters in your stories are there any secrets you've kind of come across or come up with that really have helped you to create characters your readers enjoy mm. um just a couple of things so uh susan may warren's the story equation um is where I always start and then story genius by Lisa Cron is almost how to take the story equation and put it on the page Hmm. and so just a combination of those two gives me um I feel like complex well-rounded characters or at least enough ideas to draw from um even if they don't I tend to write the entire you know like the character back not necessarily their background, but this like story equation for the character and then not look at it again one single time (laughs) while I'm writing the book. Because half the time, and then half the time, I'm like, what did I even think? Why did I think that? And I wrote this anyway. So it kind of just has to evolve on its own. Um, And then also, um, so there's a website called Better Faster Academy, and it's Becca Syme, and she does the uh, Clifton Strengths Test for authors. So it's 34 personality traits, and you they're ranked in order for you. And so you get, you know, your top five is significant, and then your top 12 are also significant. Um, and so, you know, mine, the way that mine play out, I was talking to her because I did one of her courses, um, Strengths for Writers. And, um, you know, we were talking about the bit of me that I put in characters hmm. because my strengths tend to be, um, you know, exec. Uh, executing strengths so it's like achieving things commanding significance Um, and then I've got this like relator which is like um, I connect with a very small very specific pool of people and my books reflect that there's a strong community and there's a lot of like police officer I have to get this done (laughs) let's just take this guy down and so you know I said to her well why don't I just like pick a couple of random strengths and like put them in a character. And she said, don't do that because my readers most likely come to my books for this particular um, recipe of strengths that I have, that I put in my books Um, and the way that I, you know, I put myself into, you know, you just, it's just unavoidable. You put yourself into everything. Um, And so that's also why I feel like um, 
you know, helps to make a character seem real and to seem complex is just, you know, all these different facets of who we are and, um, you know, the sum of our experience is and, um, you know, what I believe about the world and what I believe about myself um, and then what I believe going into this scene you know, say I'm the main character. So I believe one thing going into this scene mm. and then something happens and then I have to react. So I react based on what I believe about myself and what I believe about other people and how they think of me. And then I make a decision based on that. And so it's this constant, like, you know, the internal informs the external. Mm. Now you've mentioned a couple of like Lisa uh, Kron has been on yeah. uh, the show, actually. Uh, she's been yeah. on a couple of times, and uh, Susan May Warren has been on. Also, mm-hmm. Donald Moss just recently yeah. <laughs> uh, was on. So that's pretty yeah. cool um, mm-hmm. that they've all, you know, s- cycled through your life at different times and so on. What was the one that you mentioned, this lady, uh, the new website that you did or yes. the Strength Finder thing? In yeah. case our listeners are interested in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, betterfasteracademy.com. Hmm um and then becca runs the whole thing and she has people that work with her and they have a number of different courses Hmm. and um they do one-on-one strengths coaching and you take the um clifton strengths test as part of the course and then also she has a podcast a youtube channel and she has um 20 books to 50k the conference for indie authors she has classes that she taught for that that are on YouTube so there's tons of resources if you want to kind of look into who she is and what she does without you know fronting money for a course (laughs) for another writer's course yeah I'm glad that was helpful for you so yeah um what one of the things I always kind of like to kind of ask people is do you have any lessons that you've learned writing your books that you wished someone had told you at the beginning Ooh. I'm not sure I could pin it down Uh to one thing because I feel like the more you learn as an author and the more you get feedback and read craft books and go to conferences, you pick out little pieces of things that you like absorb into your process and to the way, you know, I couldn't pinpoint when I learned, you know, X particular Mm -hmm. skill, but I've done, you know, courses and classes and you know read books and and you kind of like you just have to be constantly learning and Mm. constantly willing to grow um and so you will um you know absorb these things and learn different things and um like I (laughs) I tell people that I read your book story trumps structure uh as an outliner like I'm gonna hate this I'm gonna throw this book against the wall okay (laughs) so I went into it like maybe I'll learn something because you really just have to you can't say you have nothing to offer me because that's not true Hmm. okay so as an outliner I started reading your book and when you said the whole everything you said about cause and effect the whole it's a just a cause and effect cause and effect and that that just like that I was I took that on board and I use that in my process of like okay because this happens so then you know cause yeah. and effect and I that's and great so yeah, I no. something. yeah that's good mm-hmm. um you know back years ago whenever I was studying for my master's degree in storytelling I kept like I was trying to figure out what is a story like 
I didn't know how to define a story really. And so I was reading all these definitions of story and they always mentioned causality or contingency or cause, mm. cause and effect or whatever. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And it took me uh, about 20 years to try to figure out <laughs> yeah. what exactly that. And, and it's not that super hard of a concept to grab hold of, but that mm. everything that happens in a story is caused by what precedes it. Mm. And then you say that and people are like, okay, so what? Mm. So like an example I sometimes give is you could write, she reached out with a trembling hand to lock the door. The killer was on the other side. You could write that, but you wouldn't because her reaching out with a trembling hand is not what causes the killer to be on the other side. So mm. instead you would write, the killer was on the other side of the door with mm -hmm. her trembling hand. She reached out to lock it. That's cause to effect. The other yeah. way is effect to cause. And so like I do whole, you know, seminars on this and people are like, I've never heard that before. And mm -hmm. I really feel like it is a super important aspect of moving stories forward. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I appreciate that. That mm -hmm. was helpful. It only took me 20 years to try and figure it out. So. <laughs> I only Lock wanted to casting. throw it against the wall a couple of times. What? <laughs> but hey, that's how you know it's a good book. Oh, that's good. Actually, I had a friend, I had an author friend who put out a book once and some guy on Amazon hated it. He's mm. like, yes, but it had an impact on you. Like if you cared enough to hate it that much, then I obviously affected you, which <laughs> means I did my job as an author. So <laughs> he was kind of happy about that. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So this new book, Cold Dead Night, that that yeah. you have coming out, mm -hmm. um, I know you just recently had another book release. And so I wanted our listeners to know what that one is, but also they can pre-order this new one that you have, Cold Dead Night. Um, what's the most recent one that you had come out? Yeah, it was the end of a series. It was called Terminal Velocity. Oh, okay. Um, and it was the last in um, Last Chance Downrange. So right before COVID, I started um, Last Chance County, which is one town. And I did, you know, police officers, but tons of people that live there. Mm. And that span off into um, a series of like a private security team that lived in the town. Mm. So that and then Last Chance Downrange was kind of another spinoff. Like I took one thing from a company from mm. the original series and moved it to a different town um, and started a whole new series. So it was four books, Last Chance Downrange, um, and it's uh, Benson, Washington. And again, it's just like FBI agents. And um, I had a couple characters from a previous series who never got a story. And uh, <laughs> so I had moved them and, you know, it's like I need to wrap. So actually two, book two and book four are both characters from the previous spinoff um, because apparently I can't not spin off and interconnect everything in some fashion. Um, <laughs> everybody's probably sick of hearing about the same thing. Like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> yep and so um so I kind of I wanted a new setting and I wanted new characters but the same flavor of things mm. that readers have been enjoying for the last couple of series and actually so those four books last chance downrange I am going to start a new series um in the fall as well um that are romantic suspense that are set in the same town so mm. I'm going to do like a fresh so I'm going to call it Benson first responders so I finished downrange 
And then I'm starting this brand of justice, which is very much a thriller and it mm. only has one point of view. Um, and um, it's all about this main character's journey. And then if then the romance arc is going to spin over the whole series. Mm. Um, so it's more slow burn, longer, more <laughs> complex thriller. And then in between those, I'm going to release, you know, the same romantic suspense type books that readers seem to really like just to go back and forth it gives me you know a break every time um to write something a little bit different and then readers can have you know flavors of different things um so yeah no that sounds you have a lot uh on your plate and um (laughs) so when when people talk about romantic suspense Mm. what okay so i can kind of picture it in my mind like it's you know, there's a romance story and then some uh, maybe peril or something like that. How would you sort of differentiate romantic suspense from, let's say, just a romance story or like a straight out suspense novel? Mm-mm. Mm. I think so. It all ties together. So uh-huh. you have a romance Um, If it's a romantic suspense, the suspense part needs to be intertwined with the romance. Mm -hmm. So if you take, for example, a love inspired suspense, I've written a bunch of those. They all follow the same essential formula because that's what their readers love. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have two main characters that are going to fall in love on the first page together. And the danger has to be personal to one of the characters. So somebody is trying to kill you and then you figure out why. So if you take that, you know, they're 55,000 words, they're a little shorter. (laughs) If you pull that out to, it's crazy because readers love, they just devour these books and they're fun to write. Like a little, just a little, you follow the formula and you have some fun with it. That's where you go, this is what they love, but here's a fresh spin on it. So it's actually kind of tricky to keep them fresh every time. I kind of like doing it because it's a challenge for me as an author Mm. to pull something new out of this like established brand. But if you take that concept to a full length novel, you know, romantic suspense, you're talking, you know, there's a, you know, whatever case or investigation or, you know, whatever danger it is, somebody wants to get revenge on me or, you know, the neighboring ranchers trying to steal my land. So he's poisoning my cows Hmm. and, you know, whatever it is, and then trying to kill me and burning my barn down. And so it's personal to the main character. Um, Whereas I think often in a thriller, it will be more like this is me doing my job, hmm. which is where then it's it's sometimes harder to pull in the emotional part because they're just doing their job. I think it's so interesting how there are different genres for like writing, for novels, mm. but also, okay, so I'll say in a, in a sense, there's different genres for film. Like, although I've heard lots of books be described as romantic suspense, mm-hmm. I've never heard of a movie ever being marketed as a romantic suspense movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to find movies. Yeah. I mean, Mm. like I'm sure there are movies that fit into that sort of realm or whatever, but Mm -hmm. it's just not something that's ever marketed as a romantic suspense, usually, you know, so Mm -hmm. romance or drama or suspense or whatever it is for movies. So it just reminds me that the whole idea of genres and stuff is very, 
don't know, amorphous. It's not, it's not easily necessarily defined as far mm-hmm. as, you know, this is, this is the thing. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I like to write stories myself that sort of are a little bit harder to sort of define. I guess they're thrillers or suspense, like in a broad mm-hmm. way, but, but I, I just, um, Anyway, I think it's interesting to explore the boundaries of genres in the stories we write. Mm-hmm. Now, um, uh, I was going to ask, when you're writing your stories um, and you're following kind of a formulaic uh, approach for some of them, do you tend to see the stories unfold in images or in words? I feel like it should be visual. I Mm. feel like the book is more visual if I can picture it better. Mm. And I also feel like I can write faster. Like I can get the scene out more easily if I can picture it in my head. Mm. Um, But I'm not sure that necessarily is true or needs to be true for every author. It's just something I've noticed about myself. And, you know, I know... For example, I write notes before I start typing. Hmm. So there's notes that'll get me a chapter quickly. And there's notes that'll get me a chapter that's going to take me all day. (laughs) And there's notes that, um, you know, I can sit down with my phone and dictate an entire chapter in like 30 minutes because this thing Hmm. is like playing like a movie in my head and I just talk it out. And so there's different levels of notes. And sometimes I write the notes that I need or sometimes you know, I know I need this scene, but this is all I've got. Mm. (laughs) I need to check my box. And sometimes you find something like there needs to be something interesting here that moves the story along and Mm. makes the scene, not just like a placeholder. So. Uh, Yeah, no, it's, um, it's fascinating that everyone, you know, so many writers have different sort of approaches, some plan, some don't plan, some outline, Mm. some write organically and all of that. And, um, I mean, some people like to write kind of, I guess, formulaic uh, stories, kind of fill in the blanks. Like you gave an example. There are other, you know, types of stories where it's a very specific length and it has very specific rules. Some people don't like to to Mm -hmm. follow that um, as much. And I guess, I guess every one of us sort of has our own, you know, style that when you're writing kind of a... I don't know. I don't like to say formulaic, but anyway, one that kind of <laughs> follows the formula or whatever. How mm-hmm. do you see your own voice come through in those, in those stories? Um, your, your own sort of distinctive flavor is, does it, is it able to come through or do you find that it's harder when you're writing in that realm? I think like, for example, with Love Inspired Suspense, my first one, the feedback I got was, oh, this is different from all the others. Hmm. And so then I think that as I kept, you know, I was reading more of them and writing more of them, I feel like I kind of settled into it a little Mm. bit. Um, And then so I had to do some other, you know, I had to write a full length novel or write a different series or pull a different concept, do something that I can't do in one of those books just Mm. to, you know, help me grow as a writer or just like exercising different muscles. Um, But it's interesting because, 
you know, as an indie author and a, you know, trad published author, I think as indies, if you, a lot of, you know, the advice that's given is if you want to be successful, you need to write to market, which means, you know, you using the hooks that um, popular books in your genre or subgenre use and, um, you know, following the same, you know, archetypal characters or the same plot structure or, you know, what works for that book, you need to draw from those things. And so in a sense, you know, I would argue that if you want to be successful as an indie, you need to find out what the formula is for the type of book that you want to write. And you need to write that formula, at least as a starting point to establish yourself, you know, as a contemporary to these people that are the bestsellers in your genre, because mm. that's what reader, that's what their readers want. And so if you want to market to their readers, you have to give them something they want. So I kind of feel like in a sense, you know, you could say, I, you know, I'm an indie author. I'm going to throw all the rules out the window, write cross genre, do whatever I want. And, you know, but I would argue you're hamstringing yourself to an extent, because, you know, readers are confused. You put a book up on Amazon, um, you know, as an indie author, I control my own own marketing and I control my categories that my book goes in. I control um, to an extent what my also bots are. Um, and so Amazon knows if I put a book up and I sell to my um, established readers, Amazon knows who to show my book to because they know what readers like books like mine. And so, you know, that makes me relevant in this category. And it's how I built an indie career out of, you know, trad pub, Harlequin series novel, series romance, um, and indie books where I'm competing with traditionally published Christian fiction, romantic suspense authors. And I have to produce something viable and competitive. And I have to give readers, you know, to an extent, this formula of boy meets girl, <laughs> gunfire, explosion, take down the bad guy, fall in love, the end. I ha If I go outside of that, it's fundamentally unsatisfactory to the reader. But there are books that break out of category. There are books that need to be, you know, whatever they're going to be. They're books that, you know, they don't fit anywhere. And they're the latest number one bestseller on the planet for the next five years, because that had, you know, that was a story people wanted to read. So kind of, there's kind of two sides to it. So. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm no expert on marketing. I'm no expert on indie publishing or any of those things. I've not done that really myself, but, but, um, but I've, I wonder, um, do you find that um, there's like there, do you find that there are stories itching inside of you that you're like, I just want to get this story out, out like, like really personal, I mean, it's fiction, but like really personal stories or stories from the heart. Do you have those types of experiences as you're shaping um, new stories? Um, so actually, <laughs> So a while back, I wrote a couple, like I wrote four books under a pen name. And mm. you, if you look up my bio on Amazon, you can see what it is. But um, I wanted to um, write the next idea that was burning in me. Mm. And so I did. And when I put them up, they're just because they're thriller. So they're, you know, essentially coming out of romantic suspense, thriller, 
twisted with a supernatural kind of fantasy angle. And within the series, I mean, there was like multiple different categories of supernatural fantasy, which is a terrible idea from marketing point of view, because you don't know what to do with it. So, you know, for the readers that enjoyed those books, that was great. And I needed to write those books. Hmm. I finished the series. I wrote the stories that I wanted to write, but they didn't sell very well Hmm. because they're so hard to categorize. It's so hard to figure out who wants to read this kind of book. And so, um, you know, it might seem like the easy way out, but to write to an established audience, you have to write something you'd want to write. Otherwise, mm. why are you writing it? Yeah, but yeah. writing to an established audience that is, you know, healthy and devours books and wants to buy them and needs something new to read because um, they read three books a week. Um, you know, that's where I, you know, can pay my mortgage versus, um, you know, something that was more of an experiment, harder to categorize. I wanted to write it. I'm glad I wrote them, uh-huh. um, even though they didn't, they weren't, you know, necessarily money makers. I don't know if any of them broke even. Um, I would be surprised if they had, but um you know I tried something the advantage of being an indie author is I can try whatever I want (laughs) and it either works or it doesn't work or you know I double down and try to make it work or I move on to the next thing so I think the advantage is um you know I can put a book out this month and if nobody really likes it I can put out a different book next month and (laughs) maybe they'll like that one instead yeah that's pretty fast like uh, most authors are able to write maybe a book a year that is like Mm -hmm. You know, really, but I suppose if, you know, you're writing shorter novels and stuff, maybe mm-hmm, faster. Mm-hmm. So, well, and then too, like, I mean, I do it full time. So, you know, yeah. I clock a, I clock a serious amount of words every week mm-hmm. um, versus somebody who has a full time job definitely do not, cannot put that out the amount of words that I put out. But, um, you know, if you hang around in indie circles, um, you know, the prevailing wisdom is at least every 60 days, you know, 45 to 60 days, there's a cliff. So you put your book out um, and it'll sell for a while. But after a while, you know, maybe I've clocked it maybe 45 days, but people have some different ideas and then it kind of drops off and, you know, it starts to slow down. But if you can keep, you know, put out another book or, you know, you have people that have indie careers on a book a year or two books a year or, you know, there's there's the gamut of everything. And there's people putting out a book every two weeks because they're crazy, crazier than me anyway. Um, so, you know, it just depends. You have to know what your output is. You have to know, you know, what do I need this writing thing to be? I need it to run my household at this point. Um, versus somebody, you know, this is my hobby. I can, you know, put out a book a year, every year. Um, it's just, we all have, you know, different reasons why we're doing this and things that we want to do with it. So we just have to do, you know, everybody has their own path. So, so Lisa, do you have any closing words of advice for, um, authors out there who might be, you know, starting, starting off with a, a new idea or a new story that they want to tell or write? Mm-hmm. Um, just keep being willing to grow as an author. Don't ever feel like 
you've learned everything or you know everything. I mean, some we don't always sit there and think, oh, I know everything, but sometimes we act like we know everything. Um, so just have confidence in the story that's in you, hmm. but don't be afraid to um, you know, ask, find trusted authors hmm. for help um, to give you feedback, you know, a conference like the Donald Moss one, um, the breakout novel intensive, it was fantastic Mm. for, you know, me personally growing as a reader, as a writer and, um, working on this book that I was working on. So just be open to critique and feedback, but also be confident of the story that you have to tell. All right, great. Be passionate for your story and be, you know, always ready to learn and and grow. I think that's that's a good place to close on. So, Lisa, is there a place online where people might be able to connect with you or see um, maybe your website or social media? Where would mm-hmm. you direct people to find out more about your books? Yep, you can go to authorlisaphillips.com. Um, and then the Last Chance County series that we're doing with Sunrise Publishing, um, those all release next year. Um, so I actually have lastchancecounty.com um, is just for that universe of books since there's the main series and then spinoffs and the Sunrise series that's coming. So, yep. <laughs> there's a lot to look at. And so your website yep. is a great place to start for anyone who might be interested in in checking out your books and um so lisa thank you so much for your time for being here today yeah thanks for having me on and thank you to all of our listeners for more info about our guests and to check out our other interviews you can search for us on apple podcasts spotify amazon music or wherever you listen to your podcasts or you can always click to the storyblender.com our website don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on friday evenings and as you go about your lives my friends, tell your stories well and always remember the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.